1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Okay, then. I say we go on a trip. That's what I say. We go on a trip. Let's go to Victoria, a little retreat, whole church, let's do this. In fact, we have already arranged transportation for you. We have two vessels that are ready to go. All you have to do is drive down to the end of the hook, down by the where the ramps are, and we have a couple of vessels there ready. You get to sign up for which vessel you would like to take. It won't, they're not that great, that large a vessel. So because there's so many of us, it might take more than one trip across, but that's okay. We're just gonna wait for one another and it's gonna be a grand time together. I wanna show you the vessels that we have selected for us and you get to sign up for vessel A or vessel B. You ready? What? Vessel A. It's a thing of beauty. It's painted. Or vessel B. Also a thing of beauty. A. Notice even. Is this a pointer? Yeah. Right there. It's an engine. (laughs) It's got a motor in it for crying out loud. Even has a little mount for a rudder right here. We could just add that. Or station somebody back with a paddle. We can do this. Or vessel B. So, there's some in here probably would choose A. <laughs> just because you want the challenge. However, going across the strait is a serious thing, and it's not a challenge we want anybody here to take. So, here's the thing. Of the two vessels, which one would you have those faith in? It's a duh question, it's so easy, it's not even a trick question. Because when we talk about faith, what we believe in, It all matters, it all hinges and centers on the object of our faith. So, vessel A, the level of your faith in that vessel, not very high. In fact, pretty much zero. Like, you guys go ahead and go on that retreat, I'm staying home. Because there's no way in the world that thing's gonna make it across. In fact, as soon as you put in the water, it's pretty much done. I'll go on that one, because that one will make it. Now, there may be something wrong with it, we don't know, but by the looks and everything we can tell, yeah, we're taking that one because our confidence is so very high in that vessel. So our faith is strong in that vessel. As we talk about, don't get ahead of myself. As we talk about Jesus, Dewey's already introduced what we're talking about today. It really is the person of Jesus Christ. 
the, a Christian, which I hope everybody in this room is one, means you're a Christ follower. It means you have placed your faith, your confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done. A hundred percent confidence because you know who he is, you know what he has done. And so you place your faith in him. In the text that we're going to be reading here in a minute, in fact, the whole epistle of 1 John that we've been studying, John wrote it at a time where in the church, many were questioning the veracity of Jesus, the truth of who Jesus was. Was he truly the son of God? Was he truly the Messiah? In fact, there were leaders, I find it very ironic that the last time I was preaching out of 1 John, a few weeks ago, it was the beginning of chapter 4, where it talks about Antichrist. There are Antichrists among you. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. In fact, one of the Antichrists was a guy named Serinthius. Serinthius was a Jewish leader. He was in the church, but like a lot of Jews at the time, including the disciples, if we will recall, the Jews at this time were anticipating a Messiah that would come and conquer and deal with the Romans. And so to have a lowly, humble Messiah, born in a stable, who didn't just come in and wipe out the Romans, they were going, wait a minute, this is not what we thought. And in fact, some then took that even further and said, yeah, Jesus, not really the Messiah. Not really the Messiah. In fact, what they said was, and they kind of, because they know he did all those miracles and he did amazing things, so he did demonstrate a divine nature at times, But to go to the cross and die, that is not the Messiah. Messiah wouldn't do that. That's not what we had in mind. So they actually believed that Jesus at the beginning was the Messiah, that he was anointed by God as the Messiah. But before he died on the cross, his Messiahship, the Christ, was taken away from him. And he was merely a man. And so when we talk about the term fully God and fully man, the integrated, the integral Jesus Christ, that's who we believe in. And so Serinthian Gnostics were those who had bought in to what this guy Serinthius was selling and that Jesus was not fully God and fully man, especially when he went to the cross. Well, maybe even for us today, There are times maybe you question your own salvation. Maybe you even question today, was Jesus really this? Is this really who he was? And so the text that we're going to read, John, is not focused now on the the false or the antichrist or the Serinthian Gnostics or those who are doubting. He said, instead of focusing on them, let's focus on the real thing. Let's focus on Jesus. 
Let's talk about how Jesus truly is the Son of God, that he truly is divine, truly is God, even when he went to the cross. And there's really strong reasons for that. 1 John 5, 6 through 12 is our text. So if you're open to there, we're going to read. My friends, I'm going to ask that we all stand as we read God's word this morning. I'm going to back up a verse and start at verse 5 instead of 6. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So now we're talking about Jesus. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. We acknowledge here this morning, Lord, that this is your word and we love your word and we love this letter that you wrote through your choice servant, John. As we study this this morning, Lord, speak to us by your spirit that is alive, is working, and has so many roles even in our lives. We desperately, Lord, depend upon you to teach us even now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we've read the passage once. We're actually gonna go through the passage three times this morning. We've done one. Now we're gonna do two. And it's gonna be a quick pass to pick out some key points. Then we're gonna go back to those key points and just go a little bit deeper. That's how we're gonna do, and then we'll make application. So here we go. You will notice in this passage the word witness or testify or testimony. Those words are mentioned eight times. The theme of testifying to whom Jesus is. Eight times mentioned. So here we go. If we jump right to verse seven, we have the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Then we have the testimony of men, We have the testimony of God. Down in verse 10, we have testimony in himself that is the person in coming to salvation. 
and then down to 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. That is a very, very big deal. And so there are, there are six witnesses that we're going to focus upon. Now we've gone through twice. This is good. We're going to be out in about five minutes. <laughs> I know, dream on. So let's go to the water part. The water part. Okay, when, you, when I first read the passage and began to study, I go, what's the water? What's the blood? What is he talking about? So theologians have studied this passage forever. Some theologians have said this is the most difficult passage in the whole Bible. I thought, oh, thanks, Pastor Aaron, for assigning me this. <laughs> I have just thoroughly enjoyed studying this passage, though. I loved it. It's been, oh man, I hope it means that much to you by the time we're finished in a little bit. Theologians conclude, and they're really quite unanimous, that the water is talking about the baptism of Jesus. When we talk about testifying to who Jesus is, we go back to his baptism and take a look. It was the beginning of his ministry. So what happened at his baptism? So let's all go to Matthew 3. Everybody turn with me over to Matthew chapter 3. Thirteen through seventeen. This is the baptism of Jesus. Follow it along. Matthew three, thirteen to seventeen. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This account is in every gospel. It's that, that's critical. So Jesus came to earth, born of a virgin, a miraculous supernatural birth, he was the Messiah even then. But in this scene, what we have is an anointing by the Father upon his Son to validate, to show that he truly is the Son of God. He says that. And so by water, everybody in, in pretty much in the Jewish community of the audience John is writing to agreed with this. Yeah, they understood the baptism of Jesus, and they said, yeah, that's right. That's when God anointed him, and he was the Messiah. That's when he became the Christ, the Messiah, was some of the thinking. He already was. However, God anointed and sealed the deal, so to speak, in his baptism. In um, the other passage there, John is the one who said, I was there, I saw it, he, was, he is truly the Son of God. He is the Messiah. John declares that. Next, we go to the blood. What is the blood? Theologians have discussed this one as well. When you see in Scripture where blood and water are together, one of the more common interpretations is when Jesus was on the cross, he had died, and they pierced his side, 
and water and blood came out. Some of them interpreted to mean that. Most theologians say that is not what it's talking about because it doesn't fit into the context of the passage of the veracity of who Jesus is. In fact, the blood is talking about his crucifixion when he died and his blood was shed. And that makes all the sense in the world. And there are many, many passages on this. In Mark, the first one, we read, this is Jesus on the cross as he, as he, as he finished it. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now remember, we're making the argument that the cross proved Jesus is the son of God. If he were a regular person, if the Messiahship had left Jesus... These things would never have happened. It was just a regular guy being killed on the cross, but it was not a regular guy. It was the son of God that was being put to death unjustly, paying for the sins of the world, yours and mine. Isaiah 53, five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Matthew 26, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood atonement. So Jesus dying on the cross testifies to his divinity, truly God. Next, we have the Spirit, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus said this. The Spirit will bear witness. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a big deal. When we talk about Jesus' baptism, it was an event. It was an important event, but it was an event. When we talk about his crucifixion, it was an event. It was an important event, but it happened and it's over. We talk about the Holy Spirit, it is not over. The Holy Spirit was a part of almost everything that was going on. In his baptism, the spirit came down in the form or looked like a dove. He was all part of that. When Jesus was resurrected, it was the Holy Spirit who did that. And the Father has, in Jesus himself, have much to say about the actions of the Holy Spirit to this day and on into the future. So it connects. As we talk about the veracity, the truth of who Jesus is, how the Spirit testifies, and it's explicitly stated even in this verse that he testifies to whom Jesus is. His testifying continues to this day. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
The Spirit continues his work in us. Even after salvation, he continues his action. I want to just give you a number of of ways in which the, the Spirit is in action. Number one, he is a helper who teaches. He teaches. When we study God's word, and a number of these that we're going to look at, just I'm going to mention them, really is talking about when we study God's word, it is the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. Because you find somebody who is not trusted in Jesus, and they study God's word, it's pretty flat. You'll hear them go, I don't, I don't get it. In fact, we as believers, we don't have all knowledge of the Holy Spirit. We don't have all understanding of God's word. That's why we do this even today. So that we can continue to gain understanding of who God is. And he gives it through his word and understanding through the Holy Spirit he teaches. Number two, convicts the world of sin. When somebody falls under conviction... I was with somebody just the other day and they talked about their testimony, how they fell under conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. When you feel guilty, you feel bad about the sin that you have just done or you did before, whatever it may be, it's the Holy Spirit going, hey, have you confessed that? That's his work in our lives. Number three, dwells in and fills believers. We are empowered by him. His presence is with us. Remember Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's here in us through his Holy Spirit. Number four, source of revelation, wisdom, and power. The revelation is understanding God's word, giving us wisdom, even as we navigate our lives daily, as we interact with others, as we drive around, as we do our jobs, whatever the job may be, being a mother, a father, whatever, a student, as you navigate your life, the Holy Spirit, as you seek him, gives us wisdom and his power. (laughs) There's whole books and stuff written on these things. Holy Spirit's power. Number five, guides to all truth and knowledge of what is to come. We read his word and we have understanding of what is to come, what we can expect. Do we get specifics? No, we don't. Please don't say it. Otherwise, I'm going to tell you when Jesus is coming back. (laughs) That is not going to happen. It doesn't necessarily mean prophesying the future. However, as we understand even the end times, as we look in his word, we we have information in here that as we study it, God does give clarity and understanding. There's still a lot of mystery for us in there, of course. Number six, gives spiritual gifts to the believers. We have spiritual gifts that we talk about. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts and other places in Ephesians as well where we have the gifts. That comes by the Holy Spirit. When we trust Christ, first come into faith in Jesus, we are given spiritual gifts. Number seven, a seal in the lives of believers out of Ephesians. is a seal. As in our salvation is secure. 
because we have the Holy Spirit. When we trust in him, we receive the Holy Spirit in us, and he is the seal of our salvation. Number eight, helps in our weakness and intercedes for us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He helps us in our weakness. Lord, I'm weak. I'm weak. I fly off the handle when this happens. Help me. It's a weakness. I give in to temptation. I stumble over this. Lord, help me. And the Holy Spirit is there to give us strength, to help us in our weakness. He intercedes for us. Pastor Aaron was talking about this intercession, how Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, intercedes for us. So does the Holy Spirit. To really stop and ponder that, that the Holy Spirit is asking the Father to help you. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Number nine, makes believers new and grants us eternal life. <laughs> can't help but think of his, his mercies are new every morning. I can't help but think that we are being transformed, that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit's actions in our lives that is helping this to take place. He grants us eternal life. Hello. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power in my life that you help me believe and trust and understand my need for Jesus, and I've trusted him. That is, a, that is an action of the Holy Spirit in your life to allow you to do that, to give you the understanding, the enlightenment uh, to do that. Number 10, sanctifies and enables good fruit in our lives. We've talked about sanctification before, becoming more like Jesus, this process of growth, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity that we are in as we continue to seek the Lord, as we are in his word, pursuing God, that it is the Holy Spirit that is growing us, that is helping us to be more and more like Jesus as we seek him. Enables good fruit in our lives. We talked about, we done, did a series on the fruit of the Spirit. We don't pursue the fruit of the Spirit. We pursue God. It is the Holy Spirit that works those things out in us. Joy, peace, patience, goodness. Yeah, I'm going to be good today. Man, I'm going to be good today because I want to have fruit of the Spirit coming out of me, baby. You know what? I'm going to fall flat on my face the minute I walk out the door. Because if I'm pursuing goodness, I'm really pursuing a horizontal thing. Because I'm now measuring my behavior against others, and am I treating Joe over there right? Am I respecting Lynn the way I should? See, this is all horizontal focus. The goodness is only going to come out because the Holy Spirit in me is, is growing me as I seek Him. Remember, all this bears witness to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, as we seek Him, these things happen. The fruit of the Spirit grows in us, comes out of us, 
thus giving evidence to the truth of who Jesus is. Number 11, the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. And we, this is another verse just like the one that is up there. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, this is Jesus, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So as I said, the the Holy Spirit is a big deal because the Holy Spirit is carrying on the work in us and through us. Praise God. Number four. Number three. We did that, number four. You know what? We didn't do enough, though. I think we should do more. We could do more. There's a lot more. Let's go to four. God the Father. Again, at the baptism that we just read, it was the Father who said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then at the transfiguration, when they went up in the mountain, The voice out of heaven was the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The Father is testifying to who Jesus is and validating that fact that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. It's interesting in verse 9 of our passage, it says, if we receive the testimony of men, If we receive the testimony of men, if you're going to believe men, and by the way, not just one, we read back in Deuteronomy, we read this. In in chapter 19 of Deuteronomy, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. This is part of the law. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall the charge be established. There must be two or three witnesses, and then you can believe it. In Matthew, there are other places in the the Bible where it talks about two or three witnesses, and the requirement to have two or three witnesses to verify the truth of what is being testified. Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, so we will believe one another. And John's going, okay, so you're going to believe men, you're going to believe people. What about when God says it? Of course you're going to believe God. If you're going to believe people, my word is not even close. So when God says it, and he says, this is my son, so Jesus is the son of God, then yeah, you're going to believe God. And in fact, if you don't, you make God out to be a liar. It's on you. Number five, our salvation Our salvation. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. We read in verse 10. 
as the testimony in himself. I just can't help thinking, if you know, you know. Right? Every one of you in here who has trusted in Jesus Christ, you know. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you that is testifying to you about who Jesus is. That's what it's saying. If you know, you know. What are the marks of a Christian? What are the signs? What is the evidence of a Christ follower? It's a transformed life, isn't it? We see change in people's lives. One of the more special occasions that takes place is baptisms. We love baptisms. We announced earlier that we're having baptisms on the 12th next week. By the way, we changed that to the 26th. And there's a few people who are going to be baptized on the 26th. And then again on Easter. Can't believe we're talking about Easter. But we are. And we have people slathered then. And if you want to be baptized at Easter, let us know. Here's the power of a, of a baptism. It's the testimony, isn't it? Here's how God changed my life. Even for young people, for our youth, nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds who are standing up here and testifying that they believe, they trust in Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, we're all blown away by that. Our hearts melt and we weep. That's the Holy Spirit at work. That is a testimony to being a Christ follower. We have this testimony in within ourselves. And when somebody stands up or somebody shares with you what God has done in their life, we just rejoice. Because that's the action of the Holy Spirit, giving testimony to the veracity of who Jesus is and what he does in our lives. Number five is our salvation. Number five is our salvation. I said that already. I've done all those. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> Number six. Don't mind me trying to work with all these gadgets. Eternal life. Eternal life. God, the creator, God, the father says, you have eternal life through Jesus, but you have eternal life. There are no words to express what that really means. The hope that we have, knowing that we have eternal life, that when a loved one passes away we, who knows Jesus, we don't say goodbye. We say see you later. There is a separation, so it's very difficult. But eternal life makes all the difference and it testifies to what Jesus has done and who he is. In verse 12, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. There is no life. You have it or you don't because of who Jesus is. My dear friends, it is black and white. When you get right down to it, I think the enemy, I think the world want to confound and confuse and cloud the issue. They want to create doubt. And if you go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, what did Satan do in the form of a serpent? He created doubt. He said, did God really say that? And he's doing that same tactic all the way to today where he wants to creep into your thinking and go, is Jesus really real? Are you really saved? You're not good enough. You really haven't done enough. Look how you just screwed up yesterday. You just lost it. You're not saved. Oh, the enemy loves that. Oh, he wants to do that all the time. But when we get right down to it, we can say, no, enemy, Jesus is real. Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. Even when I messed up yesterday, that is forgiven. And when I sin today, I know it will be forgiven. It has been forgiven. And when I sin tomorrow and next week and beyond, all those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. So get out of here. So get out of here. If you're a person in here who has not yet trusted in Jesus, the things we're talking about, of who he is, that he died on the cross for you to pay the penalty for your sin so that you would be forgiven and made right before God the Father, I invite you to that this day. Don't let another day go by because tomorrow is not guaranteed. But even beyond that, because you are not living the life that you were created for, not even halfway. Because those who are in Christ, it says, they have life my goodness, I tell you, the life that we're talking about here in Jesus, because we have trusted in Jesus, what he has done for us, those of us who are living life, it's with a capital L, because we live with great hope. We live in communion and in fellowship with the Father. We are right with him. The deepest recesses of our soul are at peace. Oh, my goodness. Please, if you are not right with God, get right today. You're missing out. We said this over and over, you guys. We're not a club here. Because we did not earn, we didn't deserve any of this. It's all what he has done. And all we can do is say humbly, Lord, thank you for my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Oh, I love my life because I have Jesus in my life. Well, here is what 
Spurgeon said, Oh, the power of the precious blood of Jesus. Did you ever feel it, dear friends? If so, you will never doubt the truth of the atonement, for it will be very real to you. Never can I forget the day when I first felt in my soul the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood has the power to put away sin from the sight of the all-seeing Jehovah. But it also has the power, so far as man is concerned, to give peace to the troubled conscience, rest to the weary heart, joy to the miserable life. No one could ever have been more wretched and sad than I was when under a sense of sin. Life had become almost unbearable, though I was but a lad. But oh, what a leap my soul gave from the very depths of despair up to the heights of overflowing joy when I realized that Christ had come to me, not by water only, but by water and blood, and that he had put away my sins as far as the east is from the west, so that they should be remembered against me no more forever. Amen. Amen. Mm.